Yeah, yeah. It's more for the the young children. I'm gonna dunk on some classics though. No way. I think I yeah. I'm gonna dunk on some of the the true classics. I might I might make some enemies. No way. No way. Well, that's I'm making that the cold open. Let's do a show. <laughs> <laughs> What do you say you and me take a walk over to the tavern? Let's pull up a chair. A little something to eat. <laughs> Welcome to the Mouse and Castle. Come on, Johnny. What are we waiting for? This is a gathering place for fans of all things Disney. So sit back, chow down, have some sips, and chit-chat about the magical world created by Walt Disney. Too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. <laughs> well, hey everybody, and welcome back to the Mouse and Castle podcast. Episode 60, I'm your host, Riley Blanton. Glad to have you back. Uh, come on in, we're going to grab your uh, beverage of choice and sit back and chat some Disney things, and let's do it with uh, my good friend and yours, Mr. Aaron Goins. What's going on, sir? Howdy. Grab your pumpkin cream cold brew. <laughs> Tis the season. It is that time of year. Started early this year, I think, I would say. I feel like, it, well, everything. So does, it, It's like the old not-so-scary, like starting in the middle of August. Like, come right. on, guys. Think, yeah, holidays have just expanded out beyond their their limits they should be at and i think we've all just accepted it we'd accepted it with with uh with christmas i feel like for a while but then halloween started getting jealous um at least you know it hasn't happened with thanksgiving though thanksgiving is still just thanksgiving (laughs) it's in its nice little like three day Mm. long weekend right well i feel like the whole point of like a lot of the fall themed products and food and beverages is that they're delicious as the weather cools, right? A, a pumpkin spice latte is just like something like you want to hold to keep your hands warm as the weather chills, which I know describes where you live in the world, Aaron. Yeah, it, it, it's so true because I actually, I, I'm i not a big pumpkin spice person mm, in general, but yeah. I do like the pumpkin cream cold brew from okay. Starbucks. And I will admit that because I they have just recently started carrying it again and so i'm like oh, okay i went and got one because it's one of my favorite drinks okay, all right. but when you're outside and it's like 90 degrees <laughs> and purely i'm like you know it's still beach weather and you're drinking something that's pumpkin flavored just it it doesn't feel right no. so it, it it's not quite the same Mm-mm, no it really isn't it really isn't um i'm thinking like october 1st like i really need to wait an, an entire month until I start mm. partaking in the... Uh, I feel like October is the permissible time. Maybe September up where you are, Aaron, where it's a little cooler mm. up in the Philadelphia area. For for us here in South Carolina, certainly if you're in Walt Disney World uh, in Florida, I mean, you should really only be able to drink that like in the dead of January, maybe. <laughs> right. It's, <laughs> it's a little different. The theming gets you in the mood down there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to, to do another Mouse and Castle, and I, we were talking in the pre-show that normally that we wait a few weeks, sometimes a month or two between shows. That's usually the pace of the podcast. Um, but we just like recorded barely a week ago, and here we are again. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I feel like they dropped, they dropped some news about annual passes. Yep, yep. Um, so it'd be interesting to talk about, not that it really relates to us in particular, cause a lot of that, a lot of the different options 
for those annual passes is really for Florida residents, and neither of us are yeah, Florida residents. Yeah, that's true. And so we didn't. We have one option. Did we talk about the magic key? I feel like we didn't. Did we? I don't think we got into it. Um, we might touch on that no. as well. But again, that's like a again more of the Disneyland annual pass design for for locals. So we'll t- we'll talk a little bit about each of those. There was a there's a couple new stories. You shot me what I thought was pretty interesting, which was the occupancy rates. Some some rumors about that dipping quickly amidst the the Delta variant, which I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. And then also we talked about it briefly, but I, I wanted to um, talk about um, Disney and the death of the franchise. <laughs> for for a moment and also side note give my like brief spoiler free review of 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 jungle cruise (laughs) so those are really watched it i know i i'm I'm excited but our our main topic is actually going to be we'll hit through those and then stick around guys because we are going to talk about and and we we cast a wide net but i was talking i was texting with you earlier today and we're gonna break down we haven't revealed to each other what we think are the most overrated things at Walt Disney World, and I, that's we, we cast a wide net. Could be a restaurant, could be a, an event, it could be a an attraction. I'm very curious to see how many, and also which uh, ones you selected, Aaron. I'm ready for some controversy, so let's do it. I'm excited. All right. Um, so uh, hit me up because you actually texted. We will do this from time to time. You just shot me a link, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." And then I immediately like, "Wait, what?" Um. This is from Walt Disney World uh, News Today. Disney hotel occupancy rates dropping fast as guests cancel Walt Disney World vacations due to COVID uh, cases in Florida. This came out of nowhere for me, Aaron, I have to confess. But what's the deal here? I guess, you know, people are worried about the Delta variant. And Florida is one of those things that, you know, keeps popping up when you when you hear people talk about the news around cases rising and Delta variant, you hear Florida, right? Yeah. You hear that, that state pop up quite a bit. So I think, you know, because of that, people are canceling their trips. Yeah. And that's, they, according to their sources, they say they, they've have, they've talked to people who are in the know at Disney saying that they expect it. And this is what they usually want, uh, an occupancy rate of about 93%. Which, Aaron, as I understand the hotel industry, maintaining anything above 90% is, like, really good. Um, but uh, it's now expected they updated it to be dropping all the way to 65%. A couple of uh, additional pointers that also might indicate that um, it's not just the season of school starting back and the numbers also drop a little bit, but rise of the resistance um, boarding groups stayed open like for hours for the first time ever um which indicates a, a huge drop in attendance at i say huge drop some significant number of uh, attendance drop at um hollywood studios if that's the case right because um, that's and- that's literally never happened even even since reopening and pandemic and limited you know with the limited park attendance those those reservations always disappear instantly and we know that so the the mask mandates, right? Yeah. Disney World had very strict mask mandates for a long time. And I believe both of us were down there during it. Yes. And then they lifted it. And I haven't been there since they lifted it. Uh so I didn't get to experience kind of Disney pre or um maskless. Mm-hmm. But 
Then, you know, with the rise in cases and things like that, they did kind of basically re-implement um, a lesser mask mandate. And so I think... I, you know, com- if you'll allow me, Aaron, I will be the field reporter <laughs> for the Mouse and Castle podcast because I can report that the one day that... Um, Savannah and I went down to go see Happily Ever After because I wanted to see that before that show, you know, closed permanently. Um, it was it was vastly different. There was no, inf- I would say, almost no enforcement of social distancing, ex- with the very rare exception of certain indoor dining facilities, um, and that was really the only place. And that was. Um, whereas before, and, and Aaron, you experienced this, they would have people that would literally like intervene and, and, and remind people to put their masks on correctly or put them on if they took them off, make sure people weren't um, crowding together in line. None of that was the case. Um, and, 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 even, and of course, and, and with the um, return of Happily Ever After, it was a very normal pre-pandemic, everybody shoulder to shoulder right really? there. Yeah, to the point, like Savannah and I maintained mask wear even though we were outdoors because it was just like the crowds were it was very crowded um right for the so show. i think well and now they've kind of they've rolled back some of that where they're saying okay now you have to wear masks like on all the transportation indoors so a lot of you know obviously a lot of what you're doing at disney world is indoors you know you go to a restaurant a lot of the rides yeah so so you're still seeing you know the need to wear masks which i know a lot of people who were really kind of that was their um, kind of thing they were waiting for before they mm-hmm. went back to Disney. Like they're waiting for being able to go and it be more of a normal experience and not have to worry about masks, not to worry about their kids wearing masks. So I think now that may be deterring people. Um, mm. And I think just just in general, you know, there's going to be people that are nervous to travel right now because of you know mm-hmm. the COVID pandemic continuing to go on and on. So yeah, it, it, Disney is probably freaking out a little bit i would say because they're not expecting um the occupancy levels to be that low sure and right around the time where they're kind of introducing increased cost on stuff like Mm -hmm. ticket prices are going up the the pot the parties that they've announced you know the costs on those are really high now annual passes you know which we're going to talk about later so it's kind of a maybe bad timing they were probably banking on the pandemic being less of an impact at this point so they could justify, you know, Hey, everybody's coming back. The costs are a little bit higher, but you know, we're all going to make out in the end. Right. Yeah. But now it's kind of like, they probably maybe weren't anticipating, um, some of this impact still being there. And maybe I wonder, I do wonder if we'll start to see package deals, um, you know, that type of stuff where they're really trying to increase the, the, the crowds. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to interesting to say. I, I, we'll find out. We're because, and I think we'll find out very soon when we go on our trip. We can actually kind of sample what that looks like if that's a trend that continues. Um, because I think if that pairs with the increased costs, mm, we'll see. We'll see. We but, will see. I, I'm kind of wondering, considering I know you, I I think you had decided not to participate in the race, but mm-hmm. I know that you know. Part of the reason we're going down there is because at the same time as the race. Sure. And I do wonder, because that's an event that, you know, tends to necessitate people standing very close together, uh, if that will make it. You know, if if as we get closer, if the numbers don't drop, that they may 
announce the uh, that race being turned into a virtual event. So. Yeah, I could I could see it. Uh, we'll see. And I mean, the number one reason I bowed out was cost. It was because uh, for us, we wanted to go down to hang out with you guys for the weekend. That was the priority. And we realized, um, and also because I was training for a different race, that running both didn't make sense. And <laughs> it gets pricey. So we'll see if that, if it, I'm really interested to see what the consumer reaction is because that's the data that's the number that matters to disney and will inform their decisions on the future of things like the genie plus the annual pass systems now which which i i want to jump into now because since we're talking about costs this is basically what they announced with the the magic with the it's similar to the magic key almost a freudian sleep just with way worse branding uh so aaron you have a multitude of annual walt disney world annual pass tiers and they are, I'm not making this up, the Increda Pass, the Sorcerer <laughs> Pass, the Pirate Pass, and the Pixie Dust Pass. So you have four tiers ranging from the Pixie Dust, which is 399, uh, which has a bunch of blockout dates, to the uh, Increda Pass, which has, is 1300 or oh, 100 yeah, uh, $1,300, but has like no blockout dates. Um, available to Florida residents and to uh, DVC members. Um, and there are a number of add-ons, but they don't mention any add-on of Genie Plus. So it looks like um, the biggest takeaway to me was going to be if they would offer like a maybe a couple hundred dollar version of adding on Genie Plus to your entire pass so you have it every time you go to the park or if that's still something that you have to purchase each time when you enter the park that day and it looks like that's the case yeah i i believe that's true and they do have these kind of uh per month plans that they're offering the florida residents for i think every tier has some level of you know you can pay 19 dollars a month up to 99 dollars a month depending on which tier you get and you can just do these monthly payments, mm. which is kind of a cool option. Once again, because we're not Florida residents, we we can't take advantage of that. But uh, for people that might be more on a budget and can't really drop, you know, maybe dropping thirteen hundred bucks. I mean, if you and if you're doing it for a family, it's obviously more than that. But it's thirteen hundred dollars per person. Yeah, for this Incredit Pass, and you know, it's, maybe there's people out there that can't just drop all that at one time, but they could afford to budget it, you know, and do it per month. I, I like that as an option. I do wish that they would open that to more than Florida residents. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I could, I, I definitely could see that. And I think, um, they know the reality of a lot of, they want to make it accessible to people financially. And they know a lot of people may not be sitting on a lot of spare cash right now. So I think making that option is certainly going to be more attractive to those. Um, especially with something like buying an annual pass is often more of an impulse purchase. And so you, it's harder to impulse purchase, you know, $1,300 versus like, oh, or you just pay a small down payment now. It's basically right. the DVC pitch. <laughs> right, yeah. Except maybe without all the interest. Um, <laughs> That's true, but, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I will admit, I'm, I've never had an annual pass. Yeah. I've thought about it. I'm not super familiar with all the perks that come come with it. I know their you kind of initial reaction to this was that it costs more and the value is less. That's that's what I'm hearing from people that did have annual passes. I yeah. don't know what to compare it to. I mean, I the biggest was, thing I hear people talk about is parking and the discounts. Like those are like the two big 
that I always hear. I'm sure there's more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, and I looked into it uh, maybe four or five years ago. And yeah. if I'm remembering correctly, I think for out of state, um, you could get an annual pass for somewhere in the $800 range. Gotcha. And I think for Florida residents, it was like in the $600 range. So this is a lot more than it was back when I looked. Now it's been years since I've looked, so I'm sure the price has gone up, you know, a little bit every year. But I know there was a time where I was like, hmm, 800 bucks. Like, I could maybe justify that based on the amount of times I go to Disney. Ultimately, decided not to do it. But you know, now at this $1,300 price range, yeah, it's kind of like, well, you know, you do the math. Is it? Do you see yourself ever? getting an annual pass or is it kind of beyond your needs? I mean, if I ever get out of the military, like, cause I'm a special case where their military true. rates are very, very generous. That's and true. so for, for anybody and who's, and, and like, if you're listening to this and you or a family member, um, or a friend is either active duty or guard their, um, their military passes that you can purchase on any active, um, military base are very attractive. Um, I would, I would say about similar rate, honestly, um, as some of these annual passes. And I did forget to mention, Aaron, kind of, and this is similar to the Magic Key program, they are tying it in with the new park reservation system, making it permanent. As we've long suspected, park reservations are here to stay. That data is way too juicy for Disney not to keep having, like an idea of how many people are going to be at the park at a given day and predicting that. That's a huge deal because you know what that means? means they can adjust supply chain and and in terms of staffing in terms of food in terms of workers like the ability to flex up and down and keep those profit margins higher which you know come on they're gonna do that if you know how many people are at a given park um i think that's definitely going to be a thing the data is going to be you know something that they can track for future costs for you know what what time of year they raise in ticket prices yep yep all that. So yeah, they're in the the reason why they have the reservation system at this point is more for their own scheduling purposes and not necessarily because they think it's going to be packed or that yeah, uh, no. the days are going to sell out. I think from from our experiences so far 99.9% of any day you would want is available. Yeah, no it's easily. It's just those like big event days like, you know, 50th anniversary first day or Christmas day. Those are the ones that might you know, they might block out where they'll, they'll fill up. But other than that, you know, you're not going to really have an issue getting a day if you want it. Yes, exactly. Um, the, let's see here. And when I look at the, in, in, um, the various annual pass systems, it looks like they have, um, each one has a certain number of reservations that you can hold simultaneously. Um, and the highest tier being five, lowest tier being three, I want to say, but, that adds some confusion to me, Aaron, and I'm just going to ask this dumb question on the podcast. It's a dumb question. All right. But isn't the current number of reservations you make unlimited as long as you have that many tickets? I believe so. Gotcha. Which is probably why they put a limit on it for an annual pass holder because they don't want the annual pass holders going in and okay. just booking, you know, Oh yeah, I'm just going to book every possible day I may go, and then last minute they cancel. Uh, yeah. So this is this way they don't kind of, um, I guess throw the numbers off if they go in. Sure. And just kind of book, 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 book. So this will say, okay, I can do five. Well, and the way I approach Disney's is when I I purchase a certain number of tickets, and then once those have populated to my account, 
you know, as a non-annual pass holder, then I go in and make the reservations reflective of that. So I guess to me that surprises me because that it's very few reservations. So for example, if I wanted to take, if I, if I was a Florida local and I had the highest tier pass, I'm still limited by five reservations. So if I wanted to be able to go to, um, you know, magic kingdom for the week of, you know, Halloween, but then also wanted to maintain reservations for, um, two months later and go down for maybe a week around the time of the, around Christmas time, for example, and which is something I would want to do if I were local and had an annual pass, Mm -hmm. I couldn't actually make reservations for both of those popular times. And I'd be concerned about, um, not being able to get them. Although maybe, maybe I'm just being a worry wart because uh, to your point, are they going to actually limit reservations at this point? Probably not. Yeah. I think there's going to be key days that will be hard to get. And that's like, that's probably what these people will do. Like people that have annual passes that already know like, Oh, I like to go on New Year's day or I like to go at Christmas or they'll book those days right away. And that'll be their of their five. Yeah. And then the rest of the days they'll be able to book anyways. Yeah. Um, is that's my guess. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I did, I did crunch the numbers a little bit. Okay. Cause I was thinking about, I was like, well, could I justify the cost? Could I justify based on the amount of, amount of times I go to Disney to, in a typical year? And what does that look like? So I kind of went on the website and acted like I was buying tickets for a couple different trips just to see what that total would come out to. Okay. To see if it would make sense for me. And what I figured out was if you are someone who goes to Disney, let's say two trips in a year, Mm-hmm. And you're like me, you like to visit all four parks on both trips. So you're getting, you know, four four days, one trip, four days the next trip. Okay. And you get park hopper. Yes. Because annual pass includes, you know, the ability to park hop. Yep. Then you're landing somewhere around $1,200 hmm. for those two trips. Um, still short of the 1300 but not that much shorter. So... I mean, that makes it pretty attractive. What's that? That makes it pretty attractive, honestly. Right. And there's, for me personally, there's always, I don't plan that far ahead. That's the problem. Mm. I do end up going to Disney a couple times a year, but I don't know for sure that that's going to happen. A lot of times it's like a last minute, like Riley texts me, hey, let's go (laughs) do this thing. So it's like planning that far in advance to know that I'm definitely going to go that many times Mm. is hard for me. And then there's always like the, you know, maybe I'm able to get discounted tickets or maybe, uh, you know, I want to go to an event and not necessarily pay for parks that day. I want to go to like the Boo Bash or whatever. That's not including annual pass. So there's always enough variable for me. Yes. That even though it comes close from a numbers perspective, like that maybe it would make sense for me to get one. It's still not quite there. I don't think for me personally it makes sense. Uh, to to get an annual pass unless I was going to Disney maybe three times a year, which is not quite where I'm at. I tend to go more like two times a year. Mm, yeah. No, that's fair because it's, it's always right on the line. I'm looking at the actual website here, like um, the various passes that you could purchase. Let's see. Florida resident, Florida resident, Florida resident or DVC. I think at the top tier, you can purchase outside of Florida. Right. 
Okay. Yeah, that's the only one. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so that thirteen. That's the only one I can even consider. Some of the if I was a Florida resident. Oh yeah. I absolutely think I would have an annual pass. Easily. But the fact that I don't have, I'm not close enough to Florida that I can just make like a trip on a whim. Like it's usually got to be at least somewhat planned out. Um, that it's just yeah. for now, it's definitely not. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, me. if I were the um, the pick like the pixie dust plan, come on, four hundred dollars. You can have three reservations at a time. So their blockout dates are aggressive. But say if you're a family, and we were talking about like Disney not being affordable anymore, but I think it's important to recognize the fact that if, and granted, this is only for Florida residents, but what they're doing is they're trying, they're reaching out in a way to capture a recurring market that may not be going to the parks right now because they're too dang expensive. But for those people who live in Florida and want the access to go to the parks on, for example, just weekdays, and you want to not spend much money, um, you can literally, the calendar, I would say, like maybe a third of dates on the calendar are out, which are like, come on, that's ridiculous. But if you're a local and you can take your kids uh, on a couple vacations throughout the year just during the week, you know, take them off school, maybe during spring break or something like that. Um, because like I've noticed the big thing is, is all weekends are blocked out for the lowest tier, but still right. like that's very accessible pricing for a family that might want to be able to take their kids that otherwise could never afford to do it. So I think it's important to recognize where there is accessibility price wise amidst all of this upcharging that's going on. Yeah. If you lived close to Disney and you could just go whenever you want, you're that close. Yeah. Then they're definitely making it easier for some people to say, hey, you know, I wouldn't have been able to afford like the, you know, even back when it was eight hundred dollars, yeah, or you know, up to a thousand, or now it's thirteen hundred, you know, yeah, I never would be able to afford that. But for four hundred bucks, come on, for the whole year, and I could go as many times as I want on those non-blackout dates, which is still a lot of dates. I mean, you could really get yeah. your money's worth. Like you could go a ton. Yeah, you could go. You could go on like four different three or four day vacations. Right, where you hang out at the parks on Mondays through Thursdays at any kind of random time in the year and and for four hundred dollars. That's that's yeah. that's really that's really good. I'm I'm impressed with that. So hopefully there's a trend of more flexibility on pricing and, and making uh, as long if they're making the premium super pricey, you know, options there, as long as they're able to like still also make it accessible, the the overall experience accessible at, at, at lower prices too, um, to capture the demand that's there, I think that's important. Um, and that shows that they're, that they're not just pricing everybody out because they don't have to do that. Like if they thought that they could, they, they didn't need that market or if they just didn't want to try to capture that market of people who aren't going to spend more money or the full park prices, park prices and they thought they could just fill the parks with people spending full top dollar, um, if you listen to a lot of the naysayers uh, online right now, you would think that that's exactly what they do. But I would say this is evidence and counter to that. Um, although, let's come on, um, boobash <laughs> being just as expensive as the not so scary, but also without any of the main attractions. <laughs> There's still those the things going of, on too. For the price of going to a boobash twice, you could get a, a pixie dust pass. That's true. Yeah. That's crazy. Come on, select man. Select <laughs> uh, We'll get to that later. Uh, one last thing. I'm going to hit this real quick, Aaron. Um, Jungle Cruise. The, um, they announced a sequel, which surprised me. Because, and I told you this, uh, here's, here's the, the, the two-bit review, Riley's two-bit uh, Jungle Cruise review. 
It's Disney's attempt to launch a new franchise yet again. The endless attempt of Hollywood to to introduce a new summer franchise. And it it's a, a valiant effort that falls short beca- um, because but it is a fun movie. And so I will definitely say that when it comes to Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt, Jack Whitehall, they're they're a fun main cast. The it's a it's a raucousing adventure. I got to see it at my small little tiny local theater. Um and it, it's one of the few movies that I've seen back in theaters since we've had any kind of reopening. And it was just a fun summer popcorn uh, blast. And it's the, it's the most fun summer movie because the, the, what's come out so far since the pandemic has uh, relaxed slightly, it's not a lot of options. <laughs> it's right. this and Black Widow, basically, is, is all we've had. And this is the most like fun summer blockbustery feel uh, to a movie that we've had. But what's interesting, Aaron, is is Disney's desire here is what they tried to do is is pull in so many elements from Pirates of the Caribbean that it, it felt like they weren't willing to they weren't willing to let the movie just be Jungle Cruise, and they were trying to make it like. But also, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. It really it felt like someone sat in a board re- boardroom meeting and said well, let's just spend all the money and all the effects and all the kinds of storytelling and visuals and elements that, that are in Pirates of the Caribbean, and we'll just shove all of that towards Jungle Cruise. And so the characters bear... It's like all of the all of these new characters, uh, Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, Jack Waddell's characters, are, are all like bearing the weight of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise crashing and burning. <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like. Right, yeah. This is just an attempt with a more bankable, less problematic star. Yes, exactly. But I I mean, that was like, I remember back when the trailer first came out and watching the trailer and I may have even said it on the podcast, like it had a pirates of the Caribbean feel to it. Like they were definitely going for that, that feel, at least in the trailer. So I haven't seen the movie yet, but it sounds like that translated to the movie too. Well, it did, but, and what what, the problem, so pirates of the Caribbean is probably, let me think here. It's got to be, it's my favorite Disney franchise. Uh, Star Wars doesn't count. Sorry, but it is like well, what uh, other? But think about it, like what other Disney franchises are there? If you don't count Marvel and Star Race Wars. to Witch Mountain. Um. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when have they been successful in establishing a a Disney they, hmm, franchise? Hmm. Other than Pirates of the Caribbean, I'm trying to think. Like, I'm not yeah. saying that as like a a shot at Disney. I, I just can't think off the top of my head. You know, a live action successful franchise that was. That was Disney, not no. Not that's Star Wars I mean, that's what Bob Iger was famous for was that he he bought them all. He, Pixar, right. Lucasfilm, Marvel, like those were all very successful. Be- he he literally found the people who are good at telling stories and just bought them and and then let them do their thing. Like Pixar, infamously, it's still Pixar. They still make movies the same way they did before Disney bought them. Just they have more money and more access to resources. Uh, as a studio. So, and it shows. So, although you, you know what they've done is they've, they've Disney animation has stepped up their game in a way that no other filmmaking is division. But they were already, I mean, that's been a, that's been for a while. Yeah. They've been, you know, pretty solid. We've had quite a, yeah, we've had had 10 years, years, but yeah, Um, they, uh, that's been kind of their bread and butter, really the animation stuff. So I, I feel like live action, they've been very much, or a lot more misses. So like you think about the the attempts, right? Yeah. 
they tried to do Lone Ranger. Didn't yeah. work. They tried to do. Um, That's true. <laughs> I forgot about was that. that. What's that one called? A Wrinkle in Time or something? Yeah, is that yeah. what it's called? It was. They tried to adapt a Wrinkle in Time. They tried to do that. They tried to do like a Tomorrowland thing. Well, the Nutcracker movie. We didn't even watch it. Uh, the and Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Oh yeah, that one. You know, did, was yeah. There's definitely been some attempts where they're like, "Hey, if this works, we can turn it into a franchise." It didn't work, and mm-hmm. I think. Pirates of the Caribbean may be the only success story. You even, know, really. You know what? Even Chronicles of Narnia, uh, which was a huge success with the the first one, uh, with the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, just petered out. And it, it wasn't that a weird kind of thing where like the first one was Fox and then like Disney tried to pick it up so or was no, it the other way around? C- kind of. So um, Walden Media produced it, but Disney funded and distributed it. Um, for the first Narnia film, but it was essentially okay. a it was funded and distributed by Disney, and they had a partnership with Walden Media at the time. I think if you go back, Walden Media, this is super inside baseball, but <laughs> the um, I'm surprised that you remember all this. What's the uh, what's the dig movie where they d- holes the digging holes? holes yeah. yeah, that was like one of their first collaborations because that was a Walden Media. How do I know this stuff? I am I such a movie. nerd. Well, you're a bit of a Narnia fan, though, so I think you probably followed that stuff. Yeah, no, I followed it pretty close at the time um, because, yeah, I'm a big uh, Narnia fan. And I, and I think it's, I would say, of my favorite, I would say Pirates of the Caribbean and Narnia are my two favorite like film franchises. But it's not because they're franchises, because a film franchises, uh, franchise implies like James Bond, right? A sort of formula, a film formula. But what... Um, what we le- what we learned with the petering out of both the Narnia franchise and the Pirates of the Caribbean franchises was the franchise part. That's the part that didn't work, right? Where they basically, with both of them, just tried to manufacture the whatever whatever spark hit the public the first time with the first movies. They tried to just keep making it over and over again. And and fell completely short because of that because there, it wasn't new. So this the second. So when you watch um, the first, I would the third one's kind of heavy. But here's here's the deal with Pirates of the Caribbean. The first one is just this shocking, shockingly fun reimagination of the classic swashbuckler. That's hard to say swashbuckler. Uh, film. It's it is the Seahawk or the Errol Flynn movies of like the 40s and 50s, which I grew up as a kid watching because like my parents had a whole a big collection of classic old movies. So I I, I watched tons of old 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 like Humphrey Bogart era movies. So like old gangster movies, old swashbuckler movies. I grew up with this stuff all the time. Uh, cases and cases of VHSs. Um, and so, but what makes uh, Pirates of the Caribbean work is that it takes the formula, right? A franchise is usually a formula of of an old swashbuckling sword fights, ships shooting cannons, uh, you know, skeleton pirate ghosts. Like it takes these elements that have been around in movies and storytelling for a while, but what it it lights the spark of just these really magnetic, really interesting, well written and perfectly performed characters. Uh, so that when you say Jack Sparrow. The American public knows who you're talking about. You're, the the quintessential. He's basically redefined the public ideas of an antihero for a generation, and that's what the first film did. And each film kind of expanded and and went more in depth on each of these characters' journey. And then after the third one, for some reason, they're like, let's wait five years and then just like do a random pirate movie that 
doesn't actually have any furthering to the arc of these character stories at all. And it crashed and burned. <laughs> so right. I'll say the same thing kind of happened with Narnia. And so what we're facing here is Jungle Cruise. They have the right idea of tell a new story with different characters, but instead of um, the, a lot of the mythological elements that they try to shoehorn in, um, don't give the characters a chance. So I think the structure was there, but if I were to actually, the short version of, of uh, long story long, the characters themselves didn't have the time or focus for you to connect to them in the way that you did with, you know, Jack Sparrow. So you don't finish that. You'll notice that I couldn't remember the names of the characters. I was just saying, <laughs> yeah, Dwayne Johnson, that tells you right there. I had to, it's like Dr. Frank, like he, he's a really great story arc. Well-performed. I love the rock, right? I'm a big fan. I love his movies. I love fast and furious. I love every, everything. I loved him in GI Joe too. So that's, that's saying something. But but it wasn't enough to, to make me like fall in love with the, the Dr. Frank character. And, and maybe there's more room to grow there. But I, I feel like the weight of the trying to make this thing a thing crowded out the characters. This I is, see that. This is way more in-depth than I meant to. I should have just waited yeah, no, until I, you see it. I thought this was supposed to be your, your brief review. My gosh. All right, I'm cutting myself off. I'm cutting myself off. We gotta... I, will say, I will say, though, I think part of the formula too that works sometimes <laughs> with these franchises yeah is they're introducing kind of new stars or a star who maybe is kind of on a comeback okay you know and i think the rock he's so established yeah that it's like it's hard to disassociate him from all the other characters mm, that he plays or just so who true. he is in real life he's such a big character even just in his personality in person yeah that it's kind of hard to say oh that this is a character that's new or a character that I'm going to really be into because it's like, Oh, it's just the rock. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think like pirates of the Caribbean, what they did so well is Johnny Depp was kind of, he had a pretty big lull in his career. Yeah. And pirates of the Caribbean kind of brought him back and they introduced, you know, kind of up and coming stars mm. like Orlando Bloom and yeah. and some of the others that were in that movie where it wasn't full of these like really recognizable faces that were mm. already making all these other blockbusters. It was, it started out as something where it was something new, introducing something new. And I think that that, that formula works really well for a franchise to last. It You know what? You, you make the point well, and, and I'll give you some extra ammunition. Robert Downey Jr., same thing. Exactly. And that was, that was the next thing I was thinking too is because it, when you talk about the Avengers movies in you know in general, although there are some big names there, a lot of the kind of core stars weren't huge big stars at the time, right? Yeah. Those movies made them big stars. Like you said, Robert Downey Jr. was kind of on a comeback. It's similar to John, Johnny Depp, but like Chris Evans, uh, Hemsworth, some of the others were more, you know, they were known, they were making movies, but they weren't huge stars mm. until until Marvel made them huge stars. So yeah. Yeah, I think it's a formula maybe if you really do want to have a long surviving franchise, you know, booking the biggest star in Hollywood <laughs> is maybe not the Yeah, it's fair. The strategy, yeah. Yeah, that's that's so true because uh, I'll tell I'll tell you this as we were watching it Savannah there's a scene where he like pours a shot of tequila 
And Savannah leans over to me and she's like, is that his, like, you know, his branded tequila, you know, the Terramana? And like, that's all, if you want something to take you out of the moment in the story, it's like, is that the movie star's specialty brand of tequila that they're doing? If you're asking that question, you're watching too big of a star. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you need to know. Um, All right, Aaron, let's talk about what's overrated at Disney World. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. you You came to me with this idea and the first thing I thought is, I like everything in Disney World. Ah, yeah. but then but you thought no, there about are it. things I don't like. There are definitely things I don't like or things that are disappointing to me. Yeah. But it was kind of hard to think of overrated things because, yes. you know, it's like you, it's implying that it's well liked by most, but you think it's overrated. So uh, it was, it was hard to even find five. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've stuck with, I have three. Oh, okay. I have okay. three total. So less than me. All right. I'll, but I'll let you, so I'll let you kick us off. Okay. All right. Well, I'll kick us off with. I'm trying to think of what would be the the most controversial. This might. This probably won't be super controversial, but I'm just gonna. I'm gonna throw it out there that the Dumbo, the flying elephant ride is is sore, is grossly overrated. <laughs> yeah. And not just because it's kind of we were talking pre-show about kind of the, those lame, you know, kind of boring rides. Mm. Um, I know this is a nostalgic ride for people. You know, it's one of those rides that, you know, has been, you know, it was, it was, it, it was at Disneyland, you know, they, yep. they opened up Disney World with it. Um, but I, I don't like, I, I don't get the need to mm. ride it. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to wait in that line. I mean, just to ride something that goes in a circle and, you know, Disney puts it in all their ads there's always that iconic. Like, I was going to say the only thing I really associate with that ride is just seeing it in like uh, advertisements for Disney what Disney World. Right. It's it's one of the iconic mm-hmm. rides, and you know people really want their kids to experience it or to ride it with their kids. I, for me, I've only ridden it once, and I wasn't even with my kids. It's they, it's and like it, they want it to be iconic because they use it in all mm-hmm. that marketing material. But really, it's a small world. Is is the only one that holds that level of nostalgia that that can get away with being that crappy of a ride, <laughs> but that everybody still likes. They did do a bit of a revamp on it. That's uh, true. Two thousand twelve. It uh, it opened in uh, nineteen seventy one, I believe. Yeah, no, the true. the original the the one at Magic Kingdom was nineteen seventy one, mm-hmm. and then they did it like a revamp at in two thousand twelve. But yeah, just for me, I think if I'm picking things that are overrated, that's definitely one that I'm. That's not, fair. You know. Not loving. I like it. I, I this one's no spoiler to you because I texted it to you and then I cut myself off because we were going to try to surprise each other for the rest. So I'm going to get it out of the way. It's Mickey's not so scary Halloween party or AKA the Boobash this year, which is even worse. But here's all you need to know about not so scary. Well, the main thing is is I'm not a Halloween person. Well, uh, that hurts it. Yeah, yeah. That uh, uh, right off the bat, you're gonna uh, obviously something other people like that I don't. Since I'm not as much of a Halloween person, that makes sense. But like I was when we went um, two years ago, I was I was ready. I was there for it. I was I was ready to go, and and you were there, Aaron. But I I just remembered it's the what's the advantage of an after hours party is the reduction in crowds and lines. And that was not that was not my experience when we went. That was my expectation, and I don't know if that's something that is supposed to happen at these after hours events where they're supposed to be more limited and less crowded. But that just wasn't the case. Um, the decorations are well done, but that's kind of where it stopped for me because the um, 
the the parade which isn't even there this year they're just doing cavalcades but the 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 parade is just, is sort of a, a, an endless um walk by of all of these anything scary in a disney movie and they kind of have to dig pretty deep <laughs> after a while so you don't really get iconography of disney you get uh, like you get your get jack skellingtons right and then you're Mickey dressed up in Halloween, and then you get Minnie dressed up in Halloween gear, and then you get Goofy dressed up in a Halloween, and then you get Donald Duck dressed up, and then you're just like, they're, I feel like they've ran out of ideas for the parade. So the, the parade and the, the fireworks show when they had it were not, to me, nearly as good as the um, the Christmas parade that they had or the the normal, like, Happily Ever After, which is my favorite of the fireworks shows that they've done, period. Um, so to me, the, um, the experience is well overrated, overrated. And Shots it, part fired. of that problem too, is like, I was talking it up because I was wanting you to come with me. That's true. Yeah. It. You did. So I, yeah, it, that was, it was part the, of it. It was the definition of overrated. Cause I was telling you it was great. Yeah. And, and no, it was, I did. Come like in. It was overrated. My I expectations say, were too high. I will say that it's definitely geared toward people that are not you. That's true. So, if you're big into costuming, you know, typically you can't costume at Disney World. So if you're big into that and you want that opportunity, you know, there there that's your party. Yeah. It's also there there is definitely a big part of the fandom that that is into the villains and you you kind of shortchange the parade a little bit. There's there's more to it than just the <laughs> the core characters dressed up in costumes. Like they have all the main villains that you would expect, you know, kind of all throughout that parade. And if you're a big fan of the villains, if you're a big fan of Halloween, if you're a big fan of costuming, then I say this party's for you. But I still people, have, Aaron, I still have that freaking song. Happy Halloween. Still stuck in my head. <laughs> see? It worked. But no, I, I can see where if you're not the right, you know, the right audience where you would feel that one was overrated. And I do admit that I've been to it twice now. The first time I went, I had an absolute blast. The second time I went, I was like, okay, I don't know that I need to come back to this. Like I've seen it a couple times. I don't think I'll ever, yeah. I don't say ever, but I don't have plans to, to return to that party anytime soon. Yeah. All right. Well, I will say, let's see, what would be a, should I just get the classics out of the way? I'll, I'll say yeah, Space do Mountain. Do it. Wait, did you say Space, Space Mountain? Yeah. You're, Space you're, Mountain is for me overrated. It's the one kind of premier ride at Disney World or at least at Magic Kingdom that I don't even try to go on. Um yeah. I just it's not my kind of ride. It's it's kind of a lesser man's version of uh Rock, rock and, and roller, roller coaster. coaster. Yes, that's what I was about. You stole I was about to say you stole mine because this is my we literally picked the same one. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's definitely, you know, it's just not my kind of thing. So I'm not typically willing to wait in a long line to get on this or try to get a fast pass for it. Um, it's my lowest priority when I go to Magic Kingdom when it comes to the the premier rides. So, yeah, it's overrated. also yeah. Of what what other dark rides do we have? We have that. We have um, Rock and Roller Coaster. I'm trying to think if there are any others that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. But but the the contrast is huge because Rock and Roller Coaster is freaking cheesy, cheesy as all get out. Yeah. But it's still like it's it's a it is a consistent cool experience and and maybe this is my hollywood studios bias coming in i will freely admit uh, but since this is my my second one 
there's just something about the fact that when you go through and you watch the really cheesy manager say, we're going to get a stretch limo. And then you see all the kids laugh and all the parents groan again. It's like, it's the same stupid jokes, but it's just this consistent experience that leads into the ride. And then like the fact that the level of detail that each song, uh, each rock and roll song is different depending on which cart you get on. It's just a small detail, but it makes your experience a little bit different each time. Um, Space Mountain is only fun with it when it's hyperspace mountain, and that's because I'm a Star Wars fan. <laughs> and even then, it's not that great. It's well, it, and it's kind of it's a nostalgic ride for a lot of people. So I get that it's kind of one of the classics. It's been there forever. Um, it's been there since 1975. Mm-hmm. So you know, people went on it as kids, and it's kind of that. But for me, as someone who didn't go to Disney until the late 90s. Um, it doesn't have that nostalgia for me, so it's not. That's fair. It's not one of my favorites. Yeah, well, take us into the next one. All right, um, I would say this is something I've said on the show before. It's not going to be a surprise to okay. some people. All right, but Toy Story Land in mm. general. Is, Allow me is to. It, I, this will never, Aaron. I often, and by often I mean almost all the time, will completely forget what I say on a podcast. <laughs> and or what's said on a podcast that I'm on. And I've had a few times like at a Star Wars celebration or something or someone come up to me and be like, hey, you remember this one segment you did or this one thing you said that was great? And I'll just nod right along because I have no idea, no memory at all. I will never forget the way you described <laughs> Toy Story Land and your biggest number one gripe. I don't know if you remember this, but what you said was it was the foliage and you used that word, the foliage. You were ticked off that it was just like a bunch of random bamboo and bushes. <laughs> I, that is actually, yeah, you're right. That I do remember saying that, and I, I will still stand by it, that it's it's just feels cheap. Mm. Uh, I thought they could have gotten more creative. And I think my one of my major issues with it, too, is that it's not a land. It's a pathway. It is, yep, yep. It's, it's a pathway from one part of the park to Galaxy's Edge, it, there's not a lot of space to to wander or rest. It's literally a pathway. Now, maybe they're going to expand it. I know they're going to add a sit-down restaurant. There's more coming. Mm. Um, but the, the Swirling Saucers ride is useless. I will say Slinky Dog Dash is a great ride. Like that as a standalone ride, absolutely great. Love it. But that land as a whole is definitely overrated. Mm, that's fair from, yeah from my perspective that's you know what i can't i can't argue with you we we don't really do, i really was thinking we'd kind of come to come to blows on a few of these and, and we are like on the same page this never happens the biggest disagreement so far has been boobash mm, that's fair yeah but you know it makes sense me not being um not being the biggest halloween guy you know i have i have my last one here it might be though. I think it'll be the best way to wrap the show. So, do you want to hit- save it? I, I want to say you have what? Two more? One more? I have two more, and and I even had like a, uh, a honorable mention, but we can. You know what? We can skip that one. Yeah, hit 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 me. All right. So my next one is going to be. I think you're going to agree with me on this one. Ogus Cantina. Amen, brother. Come on. Oh, I was just, I was literally talking with Savannah about this like two weeks ago. We had this whole conversation specifically. How are we, we're not allowed to agree this much, Aaron. It's not right. 
I can, oh, I know you've talked before about not being a big fan, so I knew you'd agree with me on this one. But I agree with you too. Like at first, I I was kind of when you said, oh, it's not my favorite. Like I don't really care if we go or not. I was like, really? Like it's the new thing. It's like it's hard to get into. But I've been there now on Disneyland and World, and I've been there. I'd say at least four times, and it's just not well executed. There are cool things about it. You know, sure. Some really great drinks. Well, the atmosphere is pretty cool, but it's too small. They don't have enough places to sit. So, you, uh, like three of the four times I went, I was standing the whole time. When when you're at yeah. Disney, you want to you know you want a place you can sit, right? Um, there's no food options really, other than a couple snacks that are basically just like you know peanuts and chips type thing, but not really you know anything that you could eat. And yeah, I don't know. Like it just, I guess all of those things combined makes it for, and the fact that it's really hard to get a reservation. So it's like mm-hmm. you spend all that time trying to get a reservation and then the experience just isn't quite what I feel like it could have been with a Star Wars themed cantina. Yeah. Well, and the fact that, so it's the experience that's, that's tough because the, the design itself is really well done, right? Right. But the problem is the experience because like if you go with a, just yourself or a small party, like a couple that you're going to be forced to share a table or stand at a very crowded bar. And even most of the tables that you have are standing. It's like, it's very right. rare to get a whole like alcove where you can actually sit down. Right. And that, that just like, it makes you uncomfortable. So you're like, you have the star Wars bar part of it and the bar part of it. That's the bar part just as a bar, practically speaking that you want to have a, Nice experience hanging out, grabbing a drink with a friend. Not the best experience. Here's the problem with the Star Wars bar part. Because as cool, the drinks are really cool, the theming is really cool, but here's what it isn't. It isn't freaking Moss Eisley Cantina. <laughs> and I think, I don't, I, I've, I've come to be more sympathetic of the arguments of those who wanted like a mishmash or an actual planet from the Star Wars films, one of the iconic original trilogy locations I, I i still largely think they made the right choice but when it, if there's one example where the, the, that this the, that i guess decision really comes to haunt them is in this sort of like poor man's version of the moss Eisley cantina because you want this this gruff dive bar experience in in star wars and it's absolutely iconic imagery that everyone recognizes from the movie and the fact that it's kind of n- not that is is it's it's its biggest sin, and that's like if if there were a bar and the, one of the first things I heard when they're building Star Wars land is like I want to go hang out with my Star Wars buddies at Mos Eisley Cantina, and I have consistently had an incredible experience at the Scum and Villainy Cantina on Hollywood Boulevard uh, that a friend of mine J C Reifenberg um, built first as a pop up bar and then it was such a big hit he made it a permanent like business on Hollywood Boulevard, which is a hard thing to do by the way, um, to like financially, it's hard to succeed as a bar regardless, just watch bar rescue, but he made it work, uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, a very competitive stretch of land because he did a near perfect replica of the Moss Eisley Cantina and got a lot of like Hollywood industry set designers to come volunteer their time. A lot of guys who wanted to build this pet project and make this incredible replica of the experience of being, you know, in the environment where Han Solo was and where, you know, our gang meet Han Solo and Chewbacca for the first time. And, you know, Greedo shoots first. 
So I, there's just something I it's difficult having been in that environment, in that environment with star Wars buddies, having a great time, just being in awe of the location you're in and how well it's done to then see Disney do a worse version of that. It's, it's, it's very unfortunate because there's so much potential there. I will say this. So the uh, galaxy's edge, probably the most iconic things from the original star Wars film, like Moss Eisley Canteen is up there. Number one, millennium Falcon, right? And that's what they got right. The the staging, the experience of the Millennium Falcon itself, incredible. Right. And there's, I think what we complain about with, with the Ogas is it could be expanded to Galaxy's Edge in general. Yeah. There's some really good things about it, and then there's some big misses. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy Galaxy's Edge. It's definitely not what they build it was going to be. And, uh, you know, I actually had a hard time not adding, like, Docking Bay 7 to this list, too. Because, yeah. honestly, I feel like that's pretty overrated. There are other things in Galaxy's Edge that I absolutely love. And, you know, Rise of the Resistance is great, and the Millennium Falcon is amazing, and uh, Smuggler's yeah. Run has grown on me. You know, the um, um, uh, Ronto's Roasters is... I can't go to Disney now without getting uh, Ronto Roasters. So... Mm-hmm. You know, there's some good things, but there are definitely some misses. And I think Ogus yeah. Cantina is one that they just, they could have done better. Yeah. Also, don't order the fuzzy tauntaun. It's gross. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> is that the one that makes your mouth, lips numb? Yes. yes. Oh, I like it's that. It's the one. one that tastes like lemon dish soap. That's the I'll one. I disagree with you. Like... See, you wanted to fight, I'll fight you on that. Uh, all right. Uh, Aaron, your last one. Okay. And then I'm going to, I'll say Frozen Ever After. No way. Hot damn. It's right. just come at me. You no, know, you can't. You know, Fast Pass is dead, right? But before yeah. Fast Pass died, you you couldn't get a Fast Pass for this ride. It was in demand. The line is always out the you know all the way out the Norway Pavilion into this into the mm-hmm. road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You would think it's the greatest thing ever yeah. based on that. <laughs> it's really. I mean, it's it's fine. It's a fine ride. It's just not that great. It's really not. Other than the fact that you know some of the more iconic modern. Disney characters are there. I think that's really what sells it. It's that's like why you put Elsa. You put yeah. Elsa on any ride; she, it's going to be a, a you know a, a popular ride because everybody wants to bring their kids to it. But yeah, it's, that's one that I remember the first time I went on it, thinking I was going to experience something that was like going to be life changing based on how hard it was to get on that stupid <laughs> ride. And I was just like, oh okay. It's, so it's you're cool. basically saying it's Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> I love Pirates of the Caribbean. But well, Pirates no of the Caribbean at least than, doesn't have that kind of crazy line all the time. It's no better than, you know, the Little Mermaid ride at Magic Kingdom, honestly. Mm. The ride itself Which is I just no did better. for the first time, by the way. It's just, it's kind of the same type of ride. The it's technology's just, better. I think the um, the animatronics are definitely improved. Yeah, they definitely got the, they did do some new stuff with the animatronics. Um, I mean, it's just a reskin of an old ride. Yeah. Anyway, so the ride itself really isn't anything, you know, um, gotcha. anything, you know, groundbreaking. But yeah, you're right. Some of the animatronics are, are creative. Yeah. Yeah. Although they're aging, I will say though, they're not aging super well. I've noticed. Like, oh, really? Yeah, because you know it's like projecting. You know, it's projecting the faces, and I noticed there's some discoloration that's starting to show up on some of them, and it kind of shows through on some of the projections. They, they I think they need a paint job on some of those. <laughs> Wow, well, so harsh. Um, I saved it for last because I knew that was going to hurt that's, people's feelings. That's fair. That's fair. I, it's, I mean, it's the best ride at 
Epcot right now. No, which is see that's the thing. Same. I'd take I do Soaring Test Track. Uh, wait, you know what? Soaring's better. Soaring's better. Test Track. Nah, I almost put Test Track on here, but yeah, uh, it's it's not. I would just maybe Test Track. I might be a little biased because my son like absolutely loves building his own car, and so yeah. that's more of a fun thing to do with my son. I mean, Test Track's a lot better than the other like um, car ride at Magic Kingdom. What's it called? The one that you basically just like, oh, you, it's like taking a lot parts. of gas fumes. Oh, yeah, that's horrible. I can't wait till they close that. <laughs> I was going to put that on, but I think everyone hates that one. So, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think you could say that's overrated. I think everybody kind of agrees that when it's time to retire. Aaron, are you ready to get meta? Okay. We're going to get meta. Here's my last one that I saved all this time. I think Walt Disney World is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> stop it <laughs> here we go so because we're, we're in the classic um disney world versus disneyland here but i just have to say having gone to disney world many many times the amount of things that you can do are um you know, uh, manifest many fold more than you could ever do at disneyland um but I, I think they're over, what you can do is overvalued. And maybe this is more Disneyland is undervalued. But the, the number one reason that I think Disney World is overrated is the, the transportation and logistics of going to the parks. And I, and I, and I think because often if you're... Uh, exhausted in the middle of the day, you have no options at Walt Disney World, pretty much. And and I've come to value this more and more over time as I've gotten old. <laughs> but the uh, to to the long walk out to a long parking lot at the end of a long Disney day is a feeling that I've come to appreciate less <laughs> and less. And I think that that's probably the number one: the fact of how much everything is spread out. By virtue of there being so much stuff possible to do, it kind of invites the typical experience to be trying to do way too much and just being way too much to do. And I, I love Disneyland, it, by contrast, because of its walkability back and forth between the two parks and how simple it is to get there a, a, and the um, downtown Disney, all right there in one very easy walkable place. Like, Aaron, remember when we stayed at the... Uh, I don't even remember the the Disneyland hotel. And you just like walk down, and in two blocks you were in the parks. Oh, it's amazing. Um, and and so the transportation at Disney is just they try, but it is it is something that I think makes the park a little bit overrated as like it's the only you know complete Disney experience. I would agree with you if I only had two days to do stuff. Sure. Because you're right, Disneyland, logistically, being able to walk right back and forth between those two parks and everything's kind of all together. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's where Disneyland is. That's the problem with Disneyland. Yeah. It's very limited. You know, it's kind of like living on a tropical island. It's pretty cool until you run out of stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And but... I think that's the, the strength of Disney World, although I will give you that it can be tough to get around. Or, yeah, you're right, You park hopping is... You know, not really that fun if you have a big family. Well, not to admit it, it's the 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 transportation just to get there. Like when you la- landing at MCO and getting to, um, 
getting to the parks now now that the magic express is is gone well, uh, see i rent a car i don't i don't mess with the to transportation yeah that's the thing like i agree the transportation is not great so that's why i don't even try it like i don't do i never did magical express i did once but only because i kind of had to but other yeah. than that one time you know it, i just rent a car i don't mess with all the transportation stuff unless i want to you know skyliner it's cool i want to mm-hmm. do that so i'll do that but uh, i mean i would say i'd take mc over lax any day LAX oh yeah it's a nightmare <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so yeah i don't know i i see where you're coming at it with and I know you're trying to be. I don't know. Well, so like M- MCO's the... MCO's better now. I, I should say this: MCO was way worse, and they've in the last two years they've done some really hefty renovations to that awful airport. I would have put them on the same about the same as LAX and MCO um, like three or four years ago, but um, LAX is in the midst of a huge overhaul too right now. Um, Plus, getting there, like for you know, I'm on the East Coast, so like getting to Florida is way faster than me flying across country to yeah. to Disneyland. So That's I'm right. I'm always going to be biased toward world. Yeah, I think also where where I'm going to completely disagree with you in that you know Disney World is not overrated. In that you, there are so many things you can do at Disney World that you'll never do at all. Right, mm-hmm. like between the parks. You know, if you're into water parks, I'm not. But if you're into water parks, you have just Disney Springs alone. You'll probably never be able to eat at all those restaurants. Mini mini golf. No, <laughs> you have, <laughs> but you have all the resorts. You know that all have their own kind of individual feel that you can either stay at or just go to the restaurants there. You know, that's what I love about Disney World is that just it's so expansive and that and it's constantly growing and that yeah. I can always go back and expect there to be new things for me to do. Whereas I feel like Disneyland, I could go once every few years and feel like, okay, I got to see, you know, Avengers Campus. I don't need to go back for a little while, you know. Mm. But, you know, Disney World, it's like every time I go, there's some new ride that just came out or a new restaurant they just opened or some major overhaul they did to a park. You know, it's just the excitement of like the constant of evolution of it mm-hmm. is is what to me makes it better than Disneyland because Disneyland is so limited because there really isn't more space for them to grow uh so they can kind of you know revamp a ride here and there but really there's not going to be a lot of excitement around kind of growth of it yeah so that's fair well and i think the um, the transportation thing i think is something that they'll fix once the um uh, whatever the new rail line that they're building in Florida connects the airport in Orlando down to all the way down through Disney to Tampa, which is like a big, you know, huge project they're working on now. I think that'll actually make a big difference for the ability to imagine a, a fast rail service from the airport to Disney World. That's going to be a big difference, I think. And then uh, my parting shots that I know you can't refute is weather. <laughs> weather is so much better. Uh, beautiful, cool 65 degree weather. That's that's also I'm, I'm not gonna lie. That's probably a pretty big part of it. Florida summers get pretty toasty, so that's probably a, another part of it. But I think to your point, I think the reason um, uh, what I, I think what I see as a um, uh, over not overwhelming, but as a, as a um, like an inability, like a almost too much rich stuff to, to be able to do it all at, at Disney world. And a lot of stuff that I'll just never do. 
Um, Disneyland, I think, caters to that more nostalgia feel. It being the original park, the sort of like the feeling of like this is Walt's, you know, original vision, and it's it's smaller, it's more accessible. There's more locals. It's more of a, it's a tradition. Um, ironically, I think Walt Disney World follows the vision of Walt Disney, like the constantly updating, making something new, right, innovating. Um, and ironically, it's the original park that innovates at a slower pace, but I don't mind that slower pace. And I do like the sort of like accessibility that comes at Disneyland. So that's kind of where I, um, I'm, 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 I was being a little, I'm leading with the, with a big clickbait headline, but I will say, I think my point is more that Disneyland is underrated than Walt Disney World is overrated, but I had to at least get like the kitschy, uh, the kitschy clickbait <laughs> title. That'll go for the, the episode podcast title. We can just do that one right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll be... Disneyland is on my itinerary for 2022 at least once, if not twice. So I'll nice. be out west. I will be going to Disneyland next year. Yes. And I'm very excited to see Avengers Campus because that's the new big thing out there. And I love both. I love land. I love world. I love them both. But world's better. <laughs> Well, that was fun, Aaron. Good episode. Had a good time. And you didn't even put Pirates of the Caribbean on there. No, I didn't. It's too, too easy. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, Mr. Aaron Goins, tell the good people listening to the podcast where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AV Goins. You can also find my other podcasts, Star Wars Bookworms and bad wolf radio which is a doctor who podcast mm, there we go find it uh find him there online you can also uh, stay in touch with the show mouse and castle at gmail.com is our email mouse and castle podcast.com is where you can find this episode that's episode 60 you can catch our show notes for all the news that we talked about uh as well as a list of the uh, attractions that we were talking about it's a good time good time you can also uh uh, stay in touch with me. Uh, generally speaking, uh, not on the on internet's too much, but you will do. You know, it's, I've taken kind of a break from it. I'm going to get back to writing some on the uh, on the old Substack, RileyWrites.substack.com. I'm probably going to do a progress um, <laughs> a progress updates of this uh, Lego Millennium Falcon that I'm building. Ooh, yeah, a total. Uh, so I I think when you showed me that. The first thought was, I'm super jealous. <laughs> but then the other thought was, he's going to hate building Lego by the time he's done with that thing. <laughs> but did he take the some? amount of time it's going to take <laughs> and all the small pieces. and then all. Yeah, I feel like you're going to be like, okay, I don't need to build another Lego set for a couple years. <laughs> That's so true. That's kind of how I felt after building the Disney castle. Oh yeah. And take a while. Uh, and that's smaller than the millennium Falcon by far. But I remember oh. being like, okay, I think it I is... could take a break from Lego for a while. No, it is the largest Lego set ever created. Um, yes. yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm excited. It's been my white whale for a while, but, um, yeah, no, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a, a good time. So until next time, guys, thanks for listening to the mouse and castle podcast. May you, I don't know, we'll do something, uh, cruise through your jungle of adventure, I don't know, until next time on the Mouse and Castle podcast.
the the one thing I was gonna I was thinking about putting on the list, but it's not really overrated because it's not really uh, I don't know that it's even that well noticed. But for me, it's always stood out as a big disappointment mm-hmm. at Magic Kingdom. Yeah, is that Beast's Castle? Oh, I've never been. Well, so when they when they put in fantasy when they did the expansion for Fantasyland, they mm. did the you know the be our guest restaurant, but they wanted to do this, you know, beast castle. Mm-hmm. So they did the whole idea of forced perspective, but it's, it's one time that Disney really didn't hit the mark with forced perspective. It, oh. It's just such a underwhelming, you could Google images of it view of what should be this immaculate big castle, but it just looks like this tiny little model sitting on top of rocks. And it's, and I remember seeing it for the first time after they did the big revamp of Fantasyland and thinking, oh, wow, that's that's it? Like, that's what they did? And like, oh, so, wow. Yeah, that was one where I was just It's like, kind of like just tucked away in the background. I don't think I've even noticed it, <laughs> to right. be honest. It's just like, it t- you would, I think if you didn't know what it was supposed to be, mm. you would think, oh, okay, it's just a little castle model. But it's really supposed to look like the Beast's castle is way off in the distance. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, that, that's one thing that's always stood out to me as a, as a disappointment at Disney World. Mm. And to make it worse is Tokyo Disney Disneyland did their version of Beast Castle. Yeah. And they knocked it out of the park because they did like a full size, essentially a full size castle that's over 100 feet tall um, that's supposed to represent a Beast Castle. And then there's actually oh, a ride wow. inside of it. I'm, so looking, they went, I'm looking at it. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look up Google the one from Magic Kingdom and then the one from Tokyo Disneyland, and you can see why <laughs> that looking... one was a, a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, doing the AB. So everything I've ever heard about Beast Castle is the restaurant, like how amazing the right. the restaurant is there. But I've never actually right. thought about the design. Yeah, the actual restaurant I, I hear is great. I actually haven't been in yet. I hear but, it's pretty um, pricey, but like uh... I had reservations. That was one of the things that the pandemic killed. That was uh. one. Uh, before the pandemic Sadness. canceled Sadness. my original trip, I had reservations to go for the first time to be, be our guest. And I heard, I do hear it's beautiful on the inside. It's really cool. So I think they did that well. But the actual mm. external and where the forced perspective of what that castle is supposed to look like just, I think, was a huge miss. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah. Well, Doctor, until next time, I'll, I'll hit you up.